0: Good morning again. You guys encouraged? You, got, you were told something nice. Let's go. It's encouraging. All right. Well, hey, again, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell. I'm the pastor of Antioch and would love to meet you after the service. Shake your hand. Say thanks for coming. See a few new faces right out there uh, outside those doors The connect booth. Love to say what's up after the service. We got a little gift for you, too. Okay. Hey, three quick announcements before we get into the message and a new series this morning that I'm excited to go into the next few weeks. Um first is the next I think four Sundays in a row. Maggie can correct me if I'm wrong, but we are gonna need to tear down our whole church setup and put it either in our trailer or another room, and we would love some helping hands. All right? So look at somebody next to you and say, Are you a helping hand? <laughs> Maybe. We would love it. So literally, right after church, I'll give you a few more details. Maggie will be up here, and Victor will be up here, and um, I think Parker is going to run point on some other practical things, but if we all contribute just a little bit, we can knock it out uh, pretty quickly, so it would be awesome if a few folks can do that after church. The second thing is, this will be a new announcement, um, but hopefully not too surprising, so we uh, get this, for the, for the forever of our church, we don't plan on meeting at the Holiday Inn. Okay, so if you really, really love this place in particular, that's awesome. You should love it while we're here. But just got to let you know, we're not going to be here forever. And what I want to do right now, we have a, um, a slide, but just to help it click in your mind, we have been really praying um, and searching over the last several weeks and really months for a church building. And we want to invite the rest of our church body into praying for a building Believe that this is a crucial part of our next step of being more and more established here in Northwest Arkansas. We're technically less than two years old as a church, but uh, we really feel like this is the next step for us. And all I want to invite you guys into, especially in the midst of this three-week media fast that we're on, to really be praying. asking the Lord, Lord, lead us. Lord, open up a door. We've been searching quite a bit, and so far, every door we've knocked on has been a little bit shut and locked and shut again. And so we need some breakthrough. And um, we feel like during this uh, three-week period, as we're doing this media fast, the Lord has been directing us to just go ahead and stop searching, stop knocking practically, and to just be very intentional over these next couple weeks until Thanksgiving to really just pray and to wait on God and let him do work. We've done a lot of work, but now we're just going to, all right, Lord, open up a door. So I'm going to invite you guys into praying and um, obviously if you have any ideas or connections, let us know, but right now we're just going to wait for the next couple weeks, and we'll pick up the search game in a couple, uh, probably around Thanksgiving time. All right, let's pray right now. Ready? Who has faith that God will open up a door for us? Anybody have faith for that? Awesome, thanks. Okay, Lord, we just trust you. You're a good provider. You're faithful to us. You've been leading us as a church family these last A year and a half, Lord, even through a craziness in our culture and generation, you've been so faithful to show up with your presence. You don't need a building, Lord, but, God, we we know that you're good to us and you're a provider. And, Lord, we want a place where your glorious presence can dwell, where more and more of us can come into settings like this and meet with you and be reminded of who you are and who we are. And so, Lord, would you open up doors of favor and would you lead us and direct us in the name of Jesus. Everybody said. Amen, amen. All right, February is going to be when we're kind of out of the holiday end, and so in the next four months, we need the Lord to come through, and so we're believing He's going to. Okay, uh, last but not least, we've got, uh, we've been doing this uh, social media fast, and I want throughout the next few weeks as we're doing this to remind us, to keep us in vision, keep us focused. Uh, we're going to share some testimonies about how God is using this or has used it in the past to really impact us and encounter us. So I'm going to invite up Sarah Paul. I'll give it up for Sarah Paul. She's going to give a little testimony of how media fast has impacted her life.
1: Thanks. I'm Sarah. I am the wife of Stephen Paul. Woo! And I have three kids. Yeah, I have three kids too. Um, I get to share with you today just some of my story about media fast and how I've engaged in it in the past. And so it started um, more of Sunday, I'm not going to get onto social media or even get out my phone. It was really awesome. Um, And I think that the most impactful part of that was not getting on social media. So then I said, well, maybe I could just not get on it all week and just do it once a week. Because the breakthrough that was happening with my mind was really, really powerful. Because I'm a thinker, and so as I scroll, I think. And so that led to anxious thoughts, that led to comparison. And if you don't know what social media does to your brain, research it. Because it's super powerful. Um, And so just encouraging you just to maybe engage. Even if it's for a day, if you aren't doing the full media fast. Because... um, Clearing our mind and making space for God is really, really important. And media, can even whenever you're just clicking and scrolling, clicking and scrolling, um, it's really humbling, too, to see the the want to click and scroll. If you are engaging, you've probably realized that so far in the past seven days. but. Um, Yeah, just encouraging you to go forward, keep going if you are doing the media fast. And if not, maybe ask God about one day, just a Sunday, just turning it off and making space for God and making for people around, like space for people around you too. Like I was able to engage with my family and my kids more. And so um, try it out. I promise God will do something with it. And it's really encouraging to just open your mind up instead of letting those thoughts just play on repeat in comparison. So super powerful. Amen.
0: Give it up for Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Super helpful. Super, super good. And as I've clarified over the last several weeks, as we've been talking about this, we are not the anti-media church. It's just so helpful to take intentional time to clear our minds, to recenter again, and to evaluate something that is so normal in our culture. Uh, we, want, we want to make sure we don't leave God out of it. And, but we want to invite God into it and say, all right, Lord, how does this look in my life? So, uh, you can sign up if you missed the first week, that's okay, a two-week meeting fast is still awesome, a one-day meeting fast is still awesome, so I encourage you guys to do it. You can sign up there, there's a little booklet that you can go through as well. And during this fast, here we go, now I'm going to tell you what sermon series we're about to do. We decided to do an incredible series titled, are you ready, it'll be on the screen, If Jesus Had Social Media. Ooh, <laughs> you can get up and leave now if you'd like, but uh, yeah, 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 seriously. <laughs> I am excited to jump into this, because I mean, some of you are just nervous already just looking at a title like that. Um, but I'm excited to, dump, uh, to, to jump dump into this, to, to jump into this, uh, Lord of Mercy. And I just think that even this question alone could be really altering for, for us, to begin to imagine what would it be like? And how would the Lord engage with something that is so normal in our culture? And, you know, here's what we're not going to do is we're not going to make these strong stances this way or that way. But we want to speak into just the cultural norms and how things affect us. And maybe if Jesus has a different perspective, what could that look like for us and how can that be helpful for us? So I'm excited to dive into it. And um, throughout this series, these next three weeks, we're going to hear from different people. people speaking and communicating. And so this, uh, this morning is not necessarily a guest speaker, but I'd like to say she is a gift to our church body. Her and her husband lead the, the Discipleship School. So this morning you guys get to hear from the one and only Madeline Jones. Give it up for Madeline Jones.
2: Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I am excited to be with you guys. If you are new or you don't know who I am, Mitchell said, my name is Madeline Elaine Jones, if you're a middle, middle name person out there. Um, I'm married to Larry back there doing the slides. He's so fun. And we have two kids, Truett, who is almost three next month, and Everly. I think Larry's going to put a picture up there. Um, Truett and Everly, that's us at the Pumpkin Patch. They're the best. Those three people are some of the most fun people in the whole world to hang out with. So if you ever get a chance, even if you're a total stranger, I highly recommend hanging out with them because they're so fun and they're so funny. So... I'm really excited to be here with you guys, but more than excitement, I'm actually really proud of you guys. I'm really proud of each and every one of you who just in general are here committed to Jesus, but also those of you who are jumping in and have jumped into the media fast. I'm proud of you because maybe this is the first time that you've actually like really sacrificially given up something for the Lord to see like what it's gonna do in your heart, and so I'm really proud of you for doing that. And I know it's worth it, and I also know it's hard because the night before the Media Fest, Truett, my almost three year old, is doing the Media Fest, which means no shows and no listening to Paw Patrol, which is like one of his favorite songs, the Putt Putt Boogie. After the, after the Media fast, feel free to listen to the Putt Putt Boogie, it's a jam. Um, but we can't listen to that. And so the night before the media fast starts, I'm telling Truett, okay, tomorrow is the night, you know, like, or tomorrow's the day the media fast is starting. And he just starts bawling. I mean, just, I don't want to do the media fast, like big old alligator tears. He's crying so hard. And I'm I'm like, buddy, buddy, it's okay. When we do the media fast, we're going to play with our toys and we're going to pray to God. That's like the vision I'm giving him. And we have a list of things we're praying for. And so, you know, go to, he goes to bed, and he's, like, seriously, like, sobbing in his bed about the grieving, the not being able to watch Dude Perfect and listen to the Putt-Putt Boogie. The, the important things in life, y'all. The important things in life. <laughs> so the next morning, we wake up, and a couple days later go by after the media fast, and Truett's FaceTiming his yaya, which is his grandma, and he says, yaya ya ya The first thing he says when she answers, yaya ya ya are you doing the media fast? And she, like, looks at him like, what are you talking about? And he's like, are you doing the media fast? Because during the media fast, he talks really well. If y'all have been around him, he actually talks like this. He said, during the media fast, we watch zero shows, and we play with our toys, and we pray to God. And then he starts listing off the different things we're praying for. And I'm like, he gets it. He gets the vision for taking out something and putting Jesus in. He gets it. So just to encourage you, it is worth it. If you haven't jumped in yet, I really encourage you to jump in for the last two two weeks. I feel like God has already moved really powerfully in my heart. Like, one of the things I'm doing is limiting my music, like even my worship music, because I have a tendency, like Sarah, to think a lot, and so I like to put things in my brain. But when I take those things out, then my brain just kind of is like, like, that's the sound that it's making. And so, like, on, I mean, driving to work Monday morning, so, like, one and a half hours into this media fast, it's silent in my car, which is not normal, and I'm, like, encountering the presence of God. I'm, like, hearing God's voice really clearly, and he's speaking truth to me. He's, like, speaking to my heart an hour and a half into me surrendering media and music. So, like I said, challenge you guys to jump in. It's going to be great. And I really love the question of the sermon series, what if Jesus had social media? And they love it for two reasons. One, because honestly, I have no idea. I have no idea what he would do. I have no idea how he would act. I have no idea if he would have an Instagram or a TikTok. Is that what the little, that thing is, TikTok? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I don't have TikTok. Um, so I don't know what he would do. I don't know how many minutes a day he would spend on it. I don't, I don't know. But I love that because it's the mystery of Jesus. And there's so many things that we don't know about him But what it does is it turns our heart to look at him and it challenges us to look at him. And so that's the other reason I love this question is because hopefully you think when you see this, if Jesus, and that's the part that sticks out to you, if Jesus, what if Jesus, and you look to Jesus and you think about Jesus. So I love this question because during this sermon series, we're going to look at Jesus. So today, as we dive into this question, that's what we're going to do is just learn a little bit more about Jesus. Do you guys want to learn more about Jesus with me? Okay. I'm going to pray. Spirit of the living God, thank you for being in this room. Thank you for sending your son Jesus so that we have an example. We can ask questions too. We can search the scriptures for answers. Thank you, God, that you're still mysterious so there's like not an end-all be-all to the answers. We just get to pursue you and love you with our lives, and then you, you will reveal yourself to us. Thank you, God that your height and width and depth and magnitude and love and grace is so much greater than we can ever think or imagine. And so I just ask God today that you would give us just a a little bit more of a revelation of who you are, of who Jesus is. We love you. Jesus, speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So my answer, like I said, this is my answer to the question if Jesus had social media. This is just what I think, because again, I have no idea. If Jesus had social media, I think he would be secure in his identity. He would not be consumed with comparison or distracted by the approval of man. If Jesus had social media, he would be secure in his identity. He would not be consumed with comparison or distracted by the approval of man. And I'm gonna talk about those two things and I actually wanna show you a slide that uh, my, my own creation, my own uh, gra- graphic genius created, so you can put it on the screen. <laughs> but it is... Um, What it looks like to live in a secure identity versus an insecure identity. Comparison and approval of man obviously are insecure. Approval of God and contentment are secure. So as I'm talking today, I want you to be thinking we're going for the white. We're living in the white. Let's all live in the white together. We're living up here in the white. And what does that look like and how do we do that? The best way for me to tell you how to live securely is for us to look at Jesus. If Jesus had social media if Jesus. So we're going to do that. before that we do that, I'm going to tell you guys a story specifically about comparison. I'm going to talk about comparison first and then approval of man next. So when I was a junior in high school, I had played basketball. Anyone else played basketball through high school? Anyone else played basketball at all? Anyone shoot the basket in the wrong goal somewhere in your elementary school age? We've got some of it. oh, you guys should have a little friend, a little group, a little group me. To share in your pain. Um, (laughs) I played basketball all through uh, middle school, high school. I actually had a nickname. It was Starburst. It was on the back of my select jersey. I was really cool, or at least I thought I was. Anyway, my junior year of high school, I was after my junior year, and I had felt like the Lord was telling me I needed to quit basketball which is kind of ridiculous, and actually, I quit it, and the team ended up winning state the next year, but there was some, so I just missed out on that whole opportunity, <laughs> really humbling, um, but I felt like God told me to do it. There were some different opportunities I wanted to do, and because of basketball, and preseason, and off-season and after school practice, there was just things, I, I couldn't do them because of basketball, so I went to my coach, and I said, coach, I'm quitting basketball, and he said to me that I was a quitter, and I was gonna never amount to anything in my life. I was going to probably make it through high school, but probably not make it through college or anything else. He, like, said that to my face. And so I'm like, okay. And as a happy-go-lucky Enneagram 7, I just stuffed it and moved on and pretended like it never happened. And I was just like, whatever, we're going to go do the rest of my high school things that I want to do that are not involving you, you know? <laughs> Seriously stuffed it, y'all. Not healthy, but that's what I did. Um, and... What I didn't realize at the time is that from that point on, I was pretty consumed with comparison and what other people thought of me because I like had this lie that was planted in my heart. And the enemy had come in and he had not just like taken root, he had like built a small house and like a fence and he was like living in my mind. He was like speaking lies to me about what other people did and what I did and how other people thought of me and all of this stuff. And so fast forward to my um, junior year of college and I'm at this conference and this lady is talking about comparison. And she's talking about how Um, comparison can steal your joy. And I didn't, again, I didn't really realize at the time the the magnitude of what was going on in my heart, but I was, because of that conversation, because of the lies the enemy put in my head, I was just so insecure about everything that I was doing. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel like I I was worth enough. I just had like let these lies play in my mind. And I had like looked at other people's lives from that point on to compare myself to them. Because the, the basketball team won state or because this person did this, it was just like an open door for the enemy to get in. So this lady at this conference I was at was sharing about comparison and she was saying, so this is five years later, she was sharing that comparison is a thief of joy and it is impossible to live securely when you're looking at other people's lives. And I'm sitting in this conference and I didn't really realize it, but immediately the Lord told me to delete my social media, which I was like, okay, cool, why, you know? And what I had realized, or what was happening the Lord had told me that, like, multiple times prior. He'd, like, whispered to me to delete my social media, and I would ignored him. Because I was thinking that social media, if I just deleted it, it was, like, sweeping the problem under the rug. Like, it wasn't, I wasn't actually going to receive healing or breakthrough. I was just sweeping the problem under the rug, and then I was just going to move on. And then when I got social media back, I was going to lift the rug up, and all that dust was still going to be there, you know? So I wasn't really overcoming it if I deleted it. But I felt like the Lord was so strongly telling me to delete the social media, so I did I went through and I deleted, not deactivated, deleted, which is actually very hard. If you've ever tried to delete something, they make it really complicated to actually delete the accounts. I deleted all these accounts. And what I realized at the time, or what I realized later, is that the platforms were not the issue. Social media was not the issue. But there was lies and insecurity and doubt about who God had made me to be, that essentially social media was like a gigantic magnifying glass, and it was just making those things look way bigger. So because of the things that, that I had partnered with like way back those years before, from that point on, there was this magnifying glass just looking at my heart saying, you're not good enough. You know, their life is better. Their life is more fun. It was, just, it was just revealing all of the nasty stuff that was in my heart. And so I had become really familiar with comparison, really familiar with looking at other people's lives and thinking their life was better. And that's not okay. It was like really making me discontent with my life. I really didn't like it. And it was like, I mean, it was even like, I didn't know if I liked my major. I didn't know if I liked my friend group. I didn't know if I liked the way I looked. Like I was discontent with my whole life because I was, I had lies and insecurity in my heart and this magnifying glass was looking over it. So when I got rid of it, it created this space in my brain for the Lord to actually do a really powerful healing work in me. And I'm going to tell you the rest of that story in a little bit. And so, as a church, we've been reading through the book of John. Has anyone else been reading through the book of John? Has it been fun for y'all to, as we've read through the book of John, to learn a little bit more about Jesus? Larry and I have been laughing about, like, he's crazy. Like, he says the most ridiculous things. He does the most ridiculous things. Good thing he's God, because he's the only one that could really get away with some of the things he's doing and saying. Like, turning water into wine, that being his first miracle. I'm like, what a hoot. You're You're such a funny guy, you know? And another thing he did is in John 5, he heals a man on the Sabbath, which if you read the beginning part of, um, or the middle of John 5, the Jews were um, challenged, stretched, pretty ticked off at Jesus for doing that, for healing a man on the Sabbath. Another crazy outlandish only Jesus thing. And they're seeking to kill him. They're really frustrated at him. And this is how he responds. This is how I see Jesus responding to comparison. John 5, verse 19 through 21, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these, he will show him so that you may marvel. Jesus responds to comparison by knowing the will of the Father. Jesus does, it says, but only what he sees the Father doing. And Jesus could have, in the moment when he went to heal the man on the Sabbath, he could have been like, eh, none of my friends are doing it, why should I do it, what's the point, it's the Sabbath, your law says not to, all these guys aren't, they're following the law, it would be more fun not to, why can't I just rest, don't you want me to rest in your presence God, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, isn't that what you say God, like that's how Jesus could have responded, he could have compared his life and decided to not obey the will of the Father, and because he was so distracted, I guess, or consumed with other people's lives. But that's not what he did. He knew the best place to be was in the will of the Father. But how many times do we turn to other people's lives thinking that it's better or more beautiful or more fun or their event is more fun to go to or that traveling thing is better than the traveling thing we went to or even the call of God on their life is better than the call of God on our lives. How many times do we look at other people's lives and think, huh, 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 when the reality is, the best place to be is being obedient and walking in the will of God for your life. And it will be impossible, you guys. It will be impossible for you to be fully satisfied and fully content and fully secure living in, this, in the white area of that graphic. It will be impossible, impossible, until you are obeying the will of God for your life. Because it's impossible for two reasons. One, because what you're seeing in the media world is the good and the glamour. It's the, it's the pretty stuff. So that life is unattainable and unachievable already, but also that's not what God's called you to. It's just really simply not what God has called you to. If I'm comparing my life to someone else's, then it will steal my vision and my joy from my own life. And I believe comparison is a specific tool from the enemy to keep you out of the will of God. I think it is specific. I think it is targeted. I think it is to dress your mind, your insecurities, your pain to keep you out of what God has for you. And what a bummer if Jesus would have like obeyed the comparison or got stuck in the comparison, then that whole miracle, that man would have never been healed, so his life would be drastically different. The revelation from the word of God would have never happened because the story would never be in there. There's so many pieces of the will of God that would have never fallen into place if Jesus wouldn't have obeyed what God had for him, despite what everyone else was doing. And the same is the same for your life. There's so many things that won't fall into place if you're too busy looking at someone else's life to be satisfied. And I have some hard news. Following Jesus and being in the will of God, obeying him, is not always glamorous or fun or exciting. And honestly, other people's lives probably do look better. Honestly, because you are in your own life, in your own mind, in your own thoughts, in your own heart, in your own submission. And those things are not always the most beautiful. They don't have a filter. They don't have time put into them. They are real. But when we follow the example of Jesus, we get to be a part of what the Father is doing on the earth. John 15 says says that he no longer calls us servants or slaves because a servant does not know his master's business, but everything the Father has made known to Jesus, he will make known to us. So when we are a part of the will of God, we get a revelation of the will of God, which is better than any vacation or any trip or anyone else's revelation of the will of God because it's for us. So all the specific things that the enemy's targeting, the Lord wants to use to bring him glory on the earth through your life. When we follow what the Father is saying and doing, we get access to everything that the Father himself is doing. When we stand in the will of God, we find contentment. Therefore, we find security. We have to look to Jesus. So the next tactic or tool I see the enemy using is this approval of man versus approval of God. So we talked about contentment versus comparison and what it looks like to be content, obeying and following the will of God for our life. The next one is approval of man. And I think approval of man comes in all different shapes and forms. Like maybe it could be you are really fighting for a good reputation and you want to be the best at everything you can be so that everyone thinks you're the best. Or maybe it is that you change your humor or your jokes depending on the crowd that you're in so that you can be funnier so that everyone thinks you're a little bit better. Or maybe it could be um, beating yourself up. Like if someone has a, a, a criticism or rebuke, whether it's a boss or someone who loves you, they tell you something, and the result of that is you're just like, I'm not good enough, I'm worthless, I'm terrible, nobody likes me. Like You like, really go on the opposite side, beating yourself up. I don't know what approval of man looks like for you, but it looks different for each of us, I think. So I've been asking this question to everyone. If you've been around me this week, you've got the question asked you probably. On a scale of one to ten. Ten being you live entirely for the approval of man, one being you don't care one bit. In your mind, I want you to answer where you are. Ten, you care everything. One, you don't care at all. Got it? Now I want you to share with the person, I'm kidding, you don't have to share, ha ha. Those who are actually afraid of of man are like, oh no, I have to tell (laughs) him. But in all honesty, if you're anywhere over a five, I can relate. I can relate because that same conversation with that same coach in high school, planted in me, just like it planted in me, this desire to look at other people's lives and not be satisfied in my own. It planted the same lie in me of, I'm not good enough, I'm a quitter, and I'm going to quit for the rest of my life. It was a lie that he actually said out loud, so maybe that's a little bit easier to believe, but I believed it. And so again, fast forward to my junior year of college. Super powerful year of breakthrough for me in regards to insecurity. Maybe it was because I deleted my social media. I don't actually know why. But my junior year of college, I'm at... Um, a Spring Break mission trip, and this is the healing part of the story that already happened that was really bad that I left y'all, like, in all the doom and gloom. This is the healing part, so don't worry. Um, I'm at a Spring mission trip. Mitchell's actually my college pastor, and he had asked me to, like, I had a little bit more responsibility than just normal. I was, like, not just an attendee, and I wasn't just, like, a leader. I was, like, some, a leader of the leaders, and I was on the mic a little bit, and um, about a third of the way through the trip, the person who was directly over me pulls me aside, and is like, Madeline pretty much like you're not doing a good job at your role and gives me this whole list of reasons why. And I was crushed, like so crushed. I did not take it well. I was the approval of man's side that was like beating myself up like no one's business. So that night in worship, I'm just like crying. I'm like, I'm a failure in my life. I'm insecure about everything. I'm a loser. I'm terrible. Like I can't even speak on the mic, let alone do anything. I'm just crying, and crying, crying. And the Lord with his kindness just says, Madeline, you're believing the lie that was planted in there by your basketball coach so many years ago and you've been living for the approval of man and you've been living for man this whole time. And I was able to like look back on my life and just see how my humor and how my personality and how the way I dressed had just adapted to what people thought was gonna be the best version of me. It was like humiliating but humbling in the same, isn't that sometimes how it feels with the Lord? You're like, this is so embarrassing that I've been living like this, but this is so humbling and so the Lord came in, and he gave me a revelation of Jesus in the cross, and he healed a lot of those places and changed a lot of who I was, the fake Madeline, from all those years. So again, we're going to look at Jesus. That's my story, but I want to look at Jesus because that's what we're doing, if Jesus had social media. I want to see how Jesus dealt with approval of man. Jesus 5:39 through 41 it says, You search the scriptures because you think you, in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. (laughs) But I know that you do not have a a lot of the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive me. And that's what I was doing, guys. I was refusing to come to God that I might have life. Verse 40, yet you refuse to me that you may have life. In Jesus was my life, but I wasn't coming to him. I was refusing. I was going to everyone else and everything else to find my life. I was refusing to come to him. And I don't think it was conscious. I wasn't conscious to be like, no, God, I'm not going to listen to your word. But because I was seeking the approval of man, therefore, I was refusing to come to him. And it, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. It talks about it in John 2, why he doesn't receive glory from people. But trust me, Jesus has a good reason. Jesus didn't receive glory from people, but he came in the name of the Father. It says, I have come in my Father's name. And you know what's really cool about coming under the name of the Father? We get to do the same thing. Romans 8 talks about how we are adopted. We are co-heirs with Christ. We get to call God Abba, Father. Everything that Jesus received as a son, we get to receive because we are adopted into the family of God. So we get to come under the banner of God, receive approval from him. If children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, every word that the Lord has spoken over, identity over Jesus as a son, we get to receive identity as sons and daughters because we are a part of the family of God. That is powerful. It might not look as pretty or, or be as easily accessible, but it is true and it is our life. We have to come to Jesus for our life. Verse 41 says, I do not receive the glory from people. And let me tell you why. Because earlier in John, John 2, 23 through 25, Jesus tells us why we can't and we shouldn't be receiving glory from people. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness to them for he himself, let's read that, for he himself, what, knew all what was, he knew what was in man. and My guess is that 2,000 years ago, the hearts of man haven't changed much. We are sinners in need of a Savior. They were sinners in need of a Savior. And so Jesus could not receive glory from people. Or maybe I should say he would not receive glory from people because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And so he was like, if I put my hope and my trust and my heart and my identity in them, they will fail me every single time. I have to put my hope and my trust and my heart identity in the Father because he's the only one who won't fail me. He knew. He knew. His secure, Jesus was secure in his, his identity, and he only cared what the Father was saying to him. And we, because we are children of God, we get to call him Abba Father, not just Father up there in the distance. We get to call him Abba Father. We are adopted in the family of God. We no longer have to live for likes, but we get to live for the approval of the one who has approved of us before we were even born. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he knew you and he approved of you and he loved you and he chose you and he wanted you. Before you even said one word or committed one sin or did one thing worth any purpose in this whole earth, he loved you. And that's who we get to receive our approval from. Not a person, not a phone screen. So we've broken down from that graphic what it looks like, To live for approval from God and in contentment. And I've given you a lot of lofty vision, and I've given you a lot of verses of how Jesus would or wouldn't do this. But I haven't given you any practicals. So I want you to say, Madeline, give us some practicals. (laughs) Great, I would love to. Thanks for asking. It was already planned, so that's nice. I've got two practicals for you guys on what it looks like to overcome comparison and overcome approval of man. They're very simple, but if you do them, I guarantee you they will change your life. The reason I can guarantee it, 100% guarantee, is because it's happened to me and a lot of people I know. The first practical is for us to read the Word of God every single day. Every single day. Don't even miss one day. There are so many voices out there, and they're so easily accessible, and a lot of them are really great and really helpful really encouraging, and even truth, but none of them are the word of God. They're great. They're awesome. They're like, I love opinions and thoughts and questions. I love it, but none of it is the word of God. Therefore, it is impossible to be anchored in anything that anyone else is saying. If you are going to scroll on Instagram for one minute, you have to be in the word of God. If you are going to open a Reddit forum for 45 seconds, you have to be in the Word of God. If you are going to read one sentence of one news article that pops up on your phone, you have to be in the Word of God, because they are loud. The voices are loud. They have beautiful graphics behind them and a nice typeface. Is that what it's called? The nice top font? They look pretty but they, you have to be in the word of God in order to overcome approval of man or comparison or really any other thing that's speaking in your mind. We have to. We have to, we have to, we have to. We have to be connected to the source in order to overcome comparison or approval of man. And if you find yourself thinking those things, like what does this person think about me or I don't have enough likes or whatever it is, just open your Bible and just start reading until your, mind, your heart is like renewed. We have to be in the word of God. So the first practical is read the word of God every single day. The second practical is talk to God every single day. Talk to him every single day. With comparison, ask him, what do you have for me? What do you have for my life? What do you want for me? What do you want me to commit my time to, use my energy for? If I, comparison is something that's just very easy for me to go to in my mind. That's why I probably delete my Instagram like maybe over half the year because I, I just know I'm too weak to even handle it. And so I'm like, just, I just need out. And so um, when I find those thoughts, it's really easy for me to be like, oh, their life looks better or their life looks more attractive or their life looks more fun or they look like they're going on more trips or how do they do that with so many kids? Or like, I wanna do that with so many kids. Like just comparing my life right and left. And I, but I have to know what God has called me to or else I really quickly get insecure in my own life. And so I know that God has called me to be a wife to Larry and to raise my babies and to make disciples. That's easy. Those are the things that I know God has called me to, and I look back at those almost every day. <laughs> like, what have you called me to today, God? To be a wife to Larry, to raise my babies, and make disciples. Okay, great. What have you called me to in this season, God? To help plant this church, to run the d-school, to invest in some of the girls in this room, to, to invest in this city and this region through prayer and intercession and through the love of God overflowing out of me. Those are some of the things that God has called me to in this season. And so when I want to live somewhere else or do something else or pursue another dream, I go back to what God has called me to. When I look at other people's lives and I say, oh, that looks like fun. That looks like exciting. Why am I not doing that? I go back to what God has called me to. When I know from God the things he is calling me to, it is a thousand million times easier to choose contentment and to stand securely in my identity. Talk to God every single day. And with approval of man, ask him, who do you say I am? What are you saying about me? What are promises you have over my life? If a boss gives you a constructive criticism in a comment and you come back filled with insecurity, ask God, who do you say I am? What level do you want me to perform to? How do I walk out in the kingdom of God in my workplace? Ask God these questions. When your reputation is threatened or someone insults you, ask God, who do you say I am? What do you want from me? What do you say about me? Ask God, talk to God every single day. And side note, if you're like confused, what does that mean to talk to God? How do I hear God's voice? Those kind of questions are coming up in your head as I'm talking. Please talk to a life group leader or me or Mitchell because it's really important to learn how to hear the voice of God and you probably are, you just don't realize it. We have to read the word of God and talk to God. How often? How often? Every single day. So remember when I talked about Instagram for me was like a gigantic magnifying glass just revealing to me all my sin and all my brokenness and all my pain and all my insecurity and all the nasty stuff in my heart. When I was praying for you guys about this sermon, I felt like the Lord was saying that magnifying glass is actually really good and really helpful when it's the Holy Spirit, not a social media platform. And I was like, wow, wow. Yes. <laughs> that is really good and really powerful because that's what the spirit of God in Romans 2 it talks about it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's what the spirit of God is for. It's like to just kind of hover over the things in our hearts that aren't beautiful or don't look like Jesus and just say, "Hey, there's some insecurity here." Or, "Hey, there's some comparison here." Or, "Hey, there's approval of man here." And just reveal it to us so that we can bring it to the foot of the cross so that we can repent. And as I was thinking about repentance and thinking about Jesus, I was just so overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel, that God, Father God, the creator of the universe, he decided to come in the form of a baby through his son Jesus and his only son Jesus, live a perfect life, sinned zero times, as Truett would say, watch zero shows, sinned zero times. (laughs) And he died on the cross. He died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. Because if you stay dead, the story would be really lame. But three days later, he came back to life. He came back to life, and when he conquered death, he conquered sin. When he conquered death, he conquered comparison. When he conquered death, he conquered approval of man. When he conquered death, he conquered doubt. When he conquered death, he conquered anything that you could possibly think of that the magnifying glass is possibly revealing in your heart. He conquered it. He overcame it. Golly, that's a really powerful place to be. And as I close out tonight, band, you guys can come up. And tonight, hello, well, <laughs> as I close out right now, this morning. <laughs> um, I just kind of want the Spirit of God to, to reveal to us anything we need to take to the foot of the cross. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's maybe you're like oh yeah, I'm comparison. I believed a lie a long time ago and I'm still believing that same lie and I'm and I cannot stop looking at other people's life and thinking they look better. Or maybe it's that someone told you something not positive about your own life and you are still beating yourself up for it even though it was 6 months ago. Or maybe it's just that you're doubting if God is real or not. Or maybe it's that you don't know if you can hear his voice. Or maybe it's that you don't like the way you look or you don't like the way you laugh or whatever it is that the holy spirit is revealing, I hope the magnifying glass is showing, and it's the kindness of God that's saying, bring it to the foot of the cross, because what is powerful about the foot of the cross is the resurrected power of the blood of the Lamb. The resurrected power of the blood of the Lamb is where we live. We live in the resurrected power of the blood of the Lamb. And so if you guys could just stand to your feet, I just want you really simply, as you're standing there, to just ask God, ask the Spirit, ask Jesus, what is in me that I need to take to Jesus? Just ask it in your head. What is in me that I need to take to Jesus? Thank you, Father God, that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance thank you, Father God, that there's space in our minds and our hearts as we've surrendered social media to you. And you just like have the space in our brains. And even if we haven't, even if we walked in here for the first time today and we, we don't have the space in our brains, I just ask God that you would create space and you would, through your kindness, just reveal to us anything we need to take to the foot of the cross. Anything that the resurrected power of the blood of the Lamb needs, needs to be declared over in our lives thank you God for all the times that you have revealed to me the different things in my heart that needed Jesus and you've set me free thank you God that I'm living in freedom that we're living in freedom in this room yes God would you set us free today of really anything anything that needs freedom God and you have access to it love you, Jesus. We look to you, Jesus. You are our Savior and our Redeemer and our friend. We need you, Jesus.